uh, it was the catalyst for me going, hey, hey, you know, if you've got an audience and they trust you and you build something for them, it can be quite profitable. So simple, but so powerful. <laughs> for sure. Hi, my name is Mac Folson. I'm the founder of MacWeb, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy at ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. I'm Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, and this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started today. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is a physical education teacher from country Victoria and has a passion and enthusiasm for the role that emerging technologies play with teaching and learning. We featured him as an expert in episode 79 on crowd thinking and how to use crowd thinking to launch a membership site. He's a man of many talents. And that episode was so popular that I just had to have him back. Besides, I really enjoyed chatting to him. He's a great guy. I'm delighted to have Jared back. Jared is the founder of the online community, The PE Geek, and you can access him at thepegeek.com. Now, he's designed, developed, and marketed over 60 mobile apps for Android and iOS, and they've been downloaded over half a million times. He's also been very successful with recurring income businesses, as we talked about before. So today, we're going to be talking mainly about emerging technologies and how you can use apps in particular to grow your business at the speed of light. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, Jared. Great to have you here, mate. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate the chance to, to come back and talk about, I think, probably the thing that started it all for me in mobile apps. Okay. So why don't you start us there, mate? Why don't you tell us about your first story? I know you talked about it at Superfast Business, and I absolutely sure. loved it, about your first app and, and how that was a, <laughs> shall we say, um, less than impressive start. But kudos to you for persisting, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I, as you mentioned, do phys ed and serve a phys ed teacher audience. And um, somewhere along that line, 2011, I thought that it would be good to build an app because that's what people were sort of talking about in the online spaces. And, yeah. you know, I thought, how would you do that? And I set out to learn about how to do that. And I mean, bear in mind, I'm not a programmer. Yeah, I've got no capacity to build it myself, but eventually got the knowledge that you could go and find people and you could hire them to yep. bring to life an app for you. And I made the big mistake of ignoring the fact that over the many years prior to that, I built an audience of PE teachers. Okay. That, was the, that was the big mistake. I made and went after an application for the game space, um, you know, building the next doodle jump, as it were, the very popular <laughs> game of the time. And yep. you know, I thought if I could do that and capitalize on millions of downloads, that would be amazing. But mm. unfortunately, the big lesson here is you've got to really have an audience to sort of warrant building in some in some capacity and i had didn't have an audience of people who were gamers well that's the thing i just want to bring that out not just yeah. any audience you've got to have an audience that's related to your product sure. so if you have an audience of teachers don't try and sell them an app or doodle jump app 100 percent. yeah i mean there was just no connection between that game i went to try and build which was called bug drop by the way okay and 
I built it with the intention to try and be at the next Doodle Jump. And sure, there are cases of people who have built games and yeah. released them and they've gone crazy. And Doodle Jump would be one example of that. But that's quite rare. Most of the people these days that you know have success in the app space have aligned it with some sort of following they have. Uh, and that was a lesson that I learned very quickly. But I'm very happy that I did because that doodle jump bug drop failure led yes. to me realizing in 2011 that you know I could be successful but I'd have to build apps for phys ed teachers right and that led to the first PE centric app okay so tell us about that how did that work out how did that launch what was the ROI on that one sure was that a success <laughs> well I would say it is because it paved the way for me now as to where I am and you know, we've yeah. transitioned in the last, you know, sort of year to building apps for other entrepreneurs based on these lessons. So it all centers back to that very first mobile application. But I distinctly remember it. You know, I, I had the idea after the bug drop failure to yes. build an app and it was centered around one thing that PE teachers do. And that's they conduct a 12-minute fitness test. You may know of it if, you, if you're listening. You may have even yeah. done the 12-minute fitness test before. Mm -hmm. And it's a horrible test for running it purpose yep. because you have to set up all these different cones and markers yep. around a 400-meter running track. And that's a bit of a burden. So I thought, you know, let's use the phone and let's make an app yeah. that uses the GPS to track how far the person runs. Right. That would be the goal. Yes. And I set out and I hired a developer in I think it was in uh, India or Pakistan, and yep. I paid five hundred US dollars. And for me, this was a lot of money. I, right. you know, I hadn't actually monetized any of the stuff I was doing with my phys ed audience to this point. And you know, I, I paid the five hundred, and I got an app back and released it. Mm -hmm. And in a couple of months, I managed to make back the money that it cost to build the first app, awesome. which I was over the moon about. Like you know, I was like, wow. I've just made the same money back. Yeah. I thought, well, in a year's time, I probably made four times the amount of money that it took to, but I couldn't help myself. Once I made one, I just got straight on to making the next one, mm. which solved another thing that the phys ed teachers did. So I just kept picking the problems that phys ed teachers had. And I was pretty fortunate because I was working day to day as a phys ed teacher that, you know, I could build apps for me and they would probably also be useful for people in my same situation. So that was that was the lesson there, built for an audience. And um, yeah, if I track back the ROI, everything that I've ever had success in my business now has been mapped back to that very first application that we built. Now, there's a couple of things that are screaming out to me that I have to scream out to my audience. First thing I love about you, which is something that's common to a lot of entrepreneurs, is you learn from mistakes. So, you know, you had the, the bug drop app, it didn't work, but instead of going, oh, damn, it didn't work, you said, well, why didn't it work? And what do I need to fix to make it work? So you fix that in your next iteration. The second thing that I think you did, which successful entrepreneurs do, is you built a product that solved a problem. In the case of the PE app, the sure. problem you solved was, I don't want to have to go around a 400 meter track and arrange cones for ages. Yeah. So I'm going to use the GPS and the phone to solve that problem. And yeah. I've been a strong believer, and I've said this in just about every podcast for the last 50 episodes, I think, is if your content or your product solves a problem, you're onto a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that was based on, I, mean, I still remember a student coming to me who'd missed the test in class. Yes. And they weren't there on the day that we actually set up the cones. And they said, you know, can I run the test? And in my head, I did a bit of a calculation, you know, one kid, yeah. It's going to take me half an hour to set up the track. There's got to be an easier way. And then I just 
you know, arrived at this idea of the app and knowing that all other phys ed teachers are probably in a very similar space. So yeah, I mean, by terms of numbers compared to apps that we've released since, it was quite low, but uh, it was the catalyst for me going, hey, you know, if you've got an audience and they trust you and you build something for them, it can be quite profitable. So simple, but so powerful. (laughs) For sure. All right. So let's move the conversation towards why business owners should consider or shouldn't consider having Mm -hmm. an app as part of their business strategy. Clearly, the app store now on the iPhones and iPads has become a distribution channel unto itself. And I actually remember telling one of my friends, by the way, who promptly invested in Apple stocks, I remember telling him, Apple is a great investment because the iPhone is not just a product, it's a distribution channel for apps. And he went off and he bought the stocks and he made three times the money. And I met him a few years later and I still hadn't invested. (laughs) Since then, I have bought Apple stocks, but I digress. My question is, apps are becoming increasingly a viable way of reaching other reaching customers, but there are perils as well, right? I mean, it's expensive to build an app. So who should consider building an app and who shouldn't? And why should one consider building an app? Yeah, uh, you mentioned some really good points there. It's the system and architecture is sort of set up now. So this is really easy to get to the customer. You look at the just the Apple store and the the amount of people with one click credit card access and Mm. already the devices to install. It's it's like you cannot ignore it. Yes. The thing I like to think about is, you know, in 1998, if someone came to you and said, uh, hey, Ash, you know, you've got a business, let's go ahead and build you a website because, you know, that's going to serve you really well in the future. And I mean, even in 2003, mm. 2010, or we had a lot of people that were still trying to even get a website for their business. Yes. And the, the challenge then was it was really expensive. Yes. Not sure of the ROI, not yep. sure of the opportunities that it would arrive. and now you're at a stage where you just you actually just couldn't be without it right you know we we and the cost to develop those things has decreased mm. you know i remember talking to someone in the early days and they said they spent like 25,000 on their first website right and it didn't even really do anything it was just a static page and you know not yeah. very interesting but now you can you could build that for free yes. using a, a third party tool and some extensions so we've seen the same thing happen with mobile apps and we're at that point now where you can bring them to life and they can be um, not just like a one-way thing. They can be sort of dynamic like your websites of today. And you know that's exciting because we're at that point where a business owner can look at it and say, I could really get some benefit from this. Hmm. And it's not going to cost the enormous amount of money that it would have three or four years ago. What does it cost approximately? Oh, I mean, that really depends. But <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> like I said, my first app cost 500 but Yes. We've built apps in our portfolio for our phys ed audience that have, you know, been in the, the twenty to thirty thousand realm. Okay. Just based on what you want to achieve and what you want to do, but you can get a, a really decent and functioning app for zero dollars if you're prepared to build it yourself with some online builders uh, and learn some lessons and have it do minimal, like be very one way, or you can spend you know a couple of thousand and you know, get something with us at the app match that sort of brings your business to life in a modern sense, captures all your feed and media and, you know, is a bit more dynamic. So mm-hmm. the, the real message there is that many years ago, that would have been 10x price right. that it, you know, costs to do now. And, and with that comes a lot of opportunities for businesses, you know, to use the new marketing channels that, that these have attached to them, that your static website at home on your desk just can't sort of right. execute with. Uh, And I think that's the exciting thing for businesses. So 
how does a business owner who's listening to this episode decide whether an app is something they should even consider? Let's say, you know, it's a two grand investment. And for some businesses, that's a fair amount of money. Are are there any cases where it's not even worth thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Um, You know, there was, there's, there's been a couple of people that have approached us and they've, They've just heard the word app and thought, you know what, people are building apps. We need one. Yep. I actually turned them away and said it doesn't really make sense for your your prospects, who in this case were it was a B two B space and yep. their prospects, you know, were buying big stock of their product, and it just doesn't make any sense for them to have an app on the app store because the app the app is very like B two C sort of right. capacity where you're dealing with you know maybe the end user who might buy from you later on. Um, as opposed to a, another business who's going to buy a big amount of stock. Right. Now, this company was selling clotheslines. Right. They're selling clotheslines, and it doesn't. No one's going to go and get a clothesline. Yes. Pack. Well, not yet, anyway. And maybe not, but maybe in the future. Yes. You know, the opportunities would be that their clotheslines could be using augmented reality, and so the the tech really does evolve and things change. But you know, at this point in time. We're seeing a lot of people who are doing content marketing, who are podcasters, who have access to a membership site and other content that they deliver to their communities, really benefiting from having their own mobile app that's present and accessible and available to their you know, their end users mm-hmm. at a tap. And that's the benefit that they get as opposed to just having a web presence where they get distracted by all the other stuff that's on the web or it's in social where they get distracted by all the other stuff on social. Yeah. Yeah, it can really can sort of take it to the next level when you build your own app. And just to clarify for the listeners, when we say B2C, we mean business to consumer and B2B is business to business. So what I'm hearing you say is apps are working well for business to consumer type products at the moment, at least better than they are for business to business. And I'm guessing that's probably because of the volume element. Like, you know, a business to consumer business would probably have 10 times as many customers typically as a business to business business would. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's probably going to be examples on the App Store that prove me wrong in saying that. But sure. Um, you know, the reality is that I think, yeah, the real trend is, you know, businesses working with customers uh, are going to get most of the the benefit at this point in time, yeah, um, because of the volume. But you know, it, it's still a really untapped ecosystem for many people, and I think it's because the game and the the entry ticket to actually play in this game is a little bit higher than let's put up a website and That's drive it. traffic to it. It's just a little bit higher, and with that becomes a competitive advantage that I think no one, not no one, but not many people are executing on. I love that. I remember studying about barriers to entry when I did my MBA. And this is a good point you you make. Yeah. You know, if I want to become a doctor, for example, I have to go through 12 years of training and very intense training to become a surgeon. And that's a big barrier to entry. But then on the other side of it, I can earn a relatively good income. For you, a phys ed teacher, it takes a lot of training and you've got to do continued professional development. But on the other side, mm-hmm. there are financial benefits because you're fenced into an exclusive club, if you like, that is monitored to keep that level of quality and that society trusts. And in exchange yeah, for that, yeah. you can get a decent income. It's well worth it. I mean, I think I spoke about this at Superfast Business, but you know, if you search the word physical education in Google, you get 159 million wow. search results. You know, it's just insane. So if you're trying to rank for those search terms, good luck. <laughs> Unless you're pushing out really high quality content. Fortunately, our site does rank for those terms. Okay. However, but if you go to the App Store and search physical education, yeah, 
worldwide, we actually have like seven of the top 10 apps come up because no one else builds for them. Okay. And it's because it's this untapped space. So that's the lesson that people can, you know, in your audience, if you're producing a product and you've got businesses that do the same thing, you know, one way that you could differentiate yourself is potentially to execute on those keywords in the app store in the form of an app that makes it more convenient. Right your end users. And that's what they do for us. They make it more convenient for teachers to Mm. access our content. You know, it's very interesting because I have a podcast launch service and a podcast editing service. And I tell a lot of my prospects who I think are a good fit for a podcast launch that iTunes is the third biggest search engine in the world after Google and YouTube. And, you know, you may not rank in Google and YouTube, but there's not a lot of competition yet, although the doors are closing. And with iOS 11 coming around the corner in September, there's going to be massive changes to podcasting, which will, I think, really drive the medium. But right now, if you launch a podcast, you have the option of ranking pretty highly. Sure. So what I'm hearing is apps are so, sort of a similar thing. So it's definitely yeah. something to think about. These niche style apps, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to go into the store and start building games, you probably end up building a game like Bug Drop. That's yeah. the reality of it. I mean, you're, not going, you're going against huge organizations. The gaming industry is just way too high to execute on. You'd have to be very lucky. But um, for your niche products, you know, we just released for the, um, the appmatch.com a, a product in the postnatal fitness category. Right. Now, that's, that's their niche. You know, there's probably a lot of people on the online space who produce content as such, but she's now absolutely crushing it in that category because if you search for it in the app store, There's this absolutely low barrier. The apps that are in there are old. They've not been updated. And, you know, she's now a top 10 app in the health and fitness category because she's executed in a very limited capacity, which I think is just tremendously cool. It's awesome. I mean, one of my clients had a similar experience with the podcast space. She was the only lawyer. She does strata property law. So for our American listeners, that is what they call um, the building management of the common property in a building or an apartment block. Mm -hmm. She does the legal work around that. And she was the only person in Australia with a podcast when we launched. And within six weeks, someone rang her up and said, how do I work with you? And, you know, she made a hundred percent ROI. Yeah. So it worked really well. I don't know if there's a lot more now, but it is getting more and more crowded. And so what I'm hearing is if you are thinking about an app, definitely look into it and explore it further. So can people actually do that by going to appmatch.com or what's the best place for them to go, Jared? Yeah, they absolutely can. We have a little um, selector on on the AppMatch page that you can go through and ask a few questions. And um, what we do is we just come up with a match that suits your audience or maybe it doesn't suit your audience and we say sorry we don't believe that we can assist you in bringing an app to life and like i said we've had a few people that we've filtered away probably just as many as we've said yes to so okay and that doesn't mean that those people aren't able to build an app but it's just that we the way that we do it with lots of inbound marketing and lots of content promotion Mm -hmm. it's probably not as going to be as beneficial for you as it would be for those people who fit that criteria. So, Well, if the listeners want to find out more, they can just go to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash app match, spelled A-P-P-M-A-T-C-H, and you'll be able to access the whatever information you need there. Absolutely. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. 
So, okay, Jared, so let's talk a bit about this augmented reality because it really excites me a lot. Though I must say that it's a very nebulous space at the moment. And, you know, Apple to some degree is leading the charge, but Apple historically hasn't been an innovator in that they haven't pioneered stuff. They have tended to deliver the same solutions in an innovative manner, but the solutions typically have already been out there. So for example, they reinvented the tablet, they reinvented the phone. Augmented reality is fairly unexplored. So what do you think are the opportunities in augmented reality space with apps? The way that I think about augmented reality is that it's been deceptive for so many years. Now, I mean, all technology goes through these three phases and Peter Diamandis from the Bold Book. Yes, which you mentioned in our last conversation, by the way. Yeah, it's called, it's the three Ds. And it's it's a great benchmark to look at tech. And, you know, they go through this phase of being digitized first. And once yep. they're digitized, then they they get on this track to being disruptive. But once something becomes digitized, the next yep. phase is deception. Okay. And we, as a populace, we actually ignore things in the deceptive phase. It's just the geeks, okay. people like me, who are ignore, who actually take notice of stuff in the deceptive phase. And augmented reality is in that deceptive phase. Can you tell us more about this? What does deceptive phase mean? What does deception mean in this context? Well, it just means that it's not very visible to people. It's, you know, it's, it's tucked away. It's, we're not really noticing it. Oh, so you and I would be the early adopters. Is that what you mean? In the early adopter phase of a product life cycle? Hundred percent, yeah, right. and, he, and, and the, Peter refers to it as the, as the deceptive phase, the three Ds. Okay, and then once they get enough traction, and once they, you know, have been taken on board by enough people, yep. they reach that disruptive phase. And Apple right. have typically been that person to take something out of the deceptive phase to the gotcha. disruptive phase. And you would think that with iOS, um, you know, eleven around the corner, and what Apple are doing with augmented reality there, and I've seen some previews of things already. Mm. It's going to be pretty phenomenal. Because their approach to augmented reality is in line with just needing the phone you already have as Correct. opposed to having some overlay headset or eyepiece or yes. so on. And if you look at Google Glass, that was very deceptive. You know, it was there yes. and it was very nerdy and very geeky. But like, Yes, it just didn't work. No one paid attention to it. Very deceptive. But all technologies have been deceptive before they've been disruptive. And gotcha. um, I think we're at that precipice now with augmented reality. And we'll look back and think, how do we ever ever do anything without it yes. in many capacities, education, you know, business with shopping and, and you know, it's right. just going to be amazing. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can see how, you know, you're going to be trying clothes on with yeah. your phone. I remember seeing this augmented reality little demo where someone has like a phone and it creates almost like a doorway that they walk through and it goes into a completely different reality and they walk back out of the doorway. It's almost like you're walking into a different dimension. It's hard to actually even explain, but yeah. it is mind-blowing what it can do. And yes, I completely agree that augmented reality is going to change the way we buy houses. It's going to change the way we try clothes on. You know, It's going to change the way we do our shopping. It's going to change a whole lot of things. And Apple, one thing I know that they've been very successful at, at least in my opinion, is when they reinvent products or reinvent existing ideas to take it out from the deception phase to the disruptive phase, they are focused on customer experience and minimizing. 100%. Yeah. And, and they minimize friction to access of a superior customer experience. So yep. I think that's something that they do that, say, for example, Google Glass didn't do very well. Now, the AirPods are an example of something that, by the way, 
aren't as good as the other Apple products, but it still significantly reduces the friction to a comfortable experience because it means I don't have to fiddle around with wires. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not happy with my AirPods because they drop out every now and then while I'm making phone calls, but I'm still better off than I was with wired headphones. Mm-hmm. So they still managed to get it over the line. Whereas with Google, I don't think they're putting themselves in the customer's shoes enough, maybe. Yeah. Now, they, Apple, I mean, for all the people who criticize Apple and, you know, say that they copy and whatever, that's what they've always done. But they've, they build solutions that actually will have an impact. And then everyone will scramble to copy and sort of, yes. you know, catch up. And, and that's just how it'll be. And this augmented reality thing seems to literally be the same thing repeated. And everyone will say, oh, gee, augmented reality has been around in this capacity and this capacity for years. But I mean, it's been deceptive and no one paid attention to it until it's customer focused and made so that we can't not pay attention to it. Right, right. So how does, say, one of our listeners, let's say we have a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant, a lot of my listeners are self-employed professionals. They are thinking about, is an app right for me? How does this all relate to me? How can they maybe use an app to their advantage? Just think your audience is using apps. So the people that your prospects have familiarity in that space. So you're not like you're going into a whole new world of, you know, having to try and teach them how the space works. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with it. So that's, that's always a positive. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of creative stuff happening these days with just people using apps as an easier way to get access okay. to, to whoever it is. Now, I mean, just I'm thinking, you know, lawyer off the top here. What could they see and what could they benefit? What could they potentially get from having a mobile app? Well, I mean, quick access to them is, yep. is obviously one thing. Yep. But just, you know, imagine having this like experience that was so fluid in helping the person diagnose potential ways or who they need to communicate, you know, like right, a, right. some sort of almost chatbot like feature. Yeah. And you can yeah, see yeah. that trend as well. But having an artificial intelligence that was driven by an, a great, beautiful experience on a mobile app that took them from, this is my problem and here is the outcome. And yes. in the same token, you've just filtered them through and now they're a much hotter and more interested prospect. That's a great point, actually. You know, I recently interviewed Dale Beaumont on Brin, which is an artificial intelligence powered app. And that's a great point. You know, I can just see how it would work. Say I'm a lawyer Let's say I have four arms to my legal practice. I have family law, I have estate planning, I have criminal law and conveyancing, say. If someone goes to my app on their phone, they could have a decision tree come up in front of them. Like, what kind of legal assistance do you need? Conveyancing, family law, blah, blah, blah. You click on that and it brings up the next question. Now, admittedly, you can have that also on a website, but the experience... But what you couldn't do on... The web presence is actually start to tie it with some of the sensors that live in, in this phone. So I'm thinking a level up from that person who runs the, the legal practice, but they could potentially tap into that same structure yes. and your location yes. and filter you to legal practices around Australia who actually match with the thing that you're doing. And all of a sudden now they've elevated their game and they're not just selling direct to clients, but they're selling leads to other lawyers. Other lawyers in the right areas. So you could elevate it to a next level. So we are actually pretty much building an app live right now in this we conversation. <laughs> sure. I mean, and that sounds like, oh, I mean, as if you could build that. No, back to the start of the conversation when I spoke about that would have cost you a lot in the years gone by, but it doesn't now. Yes. Um, you could very easily have a chat bot that filtered people out and sent them based on location to the right places. 
And that's just the starting point. I mean, if, if you're sitting here and you have a very different business that has a premises, then an app can interact with your premises to, you know, when people arrive at the premises, get information that's, that's based on them being at that point in time. And then, yeah, I mean, it <laughs> gets me so excited. But the opportunities are really at that point now where people just need to pick them up and take them. Uh, and they're going to be real innovators in their space. Well, Jared, you and I are going to be having a conversation about an app for Productive Insights in, in a very short period of time, I'm sure. So <laughs> let's go to our, our next question then. What are the biggest mistakes you've noticed that people make when it comes to using apps or integrating them into their businesses? And what's worked best in terms of overcoming these challenges? comes back to the bug drop lesson, really. And you know, the, 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 the big one that I still see people do is they build something that they just really don't have an audience for okay. or even the right to build you know, I didn't have the right to build a game. I mean, nothing stopped me from actually building it. But why would anyone play a game built by a phys ed teacher? You know, what what sort of credibility did I have there? So right. I, I think stick in your lane is, is yeah. a big piece of advice. And when you do that, when you do stick in your lane, you've got an audience of people who you know that you can solve a problem for. I think that's the real lesson. And you know, I've seen a couple of people that have moved away from that, including myself on numerous occasions. Even though I knew this, I just sort of, you know, see the carrot and the possibility. And um, yeah, that's always been the hard lesson. So when we work with people, I'm very mindful to look at and see, well, what's the audience that you actually have already? Yes. Um, because I know that that's the real reason why something will be successful and, and, and why others would not. Other than that, you know, it's making sure that your actual audience needs it and you can, and that you, you couldn't just replicate that in a web presence. Like mm. if all you're interested in doing is is having something that absolutely is not benefited by the native features that yes. the app would bring, then I don't think it's worth pursuing. It's you know it's a bit of a, yeah, a vanity just, thing. It's a vanity yeah. thing. So oh, we've got an app, but really it doesn't actually increase the user experience. So what are some examples of these features that are in an app that are not on a website? Sure. So I I mean think of all the metrics that are you know the different sensors and things that the are in your phone. Yeah, obviously all of those. Like, I mean, if you're running some place that has locations, different places, then obviously having the GPS interact with those places is yep. that's leveraging native features. Motion sensors. Absolutely. We're building an app for someone at the moment who has a fitness, you know, fitness realm. And part of what they do is they get clients to submit photos, um, you know, progress photos to them. Yes. You could do that with a website. Yeah. But, you know, what typically you have to do is you've got to get the photo to your computer first. Yeah. And then you've got to get the computer. It's a, not quite great, but right. we've got it now built into the app so that the users press the app, they can record their video and it arrives in the right place. So yep. that's benefiting and leveraging the native functionality to sort of bring about a better result. Yep. Um, and that's just the, the tipping point. And, and now with wearables, with your watch, even the AirPods, because they have chips in them. So they have the capability, I believe, I may be wrong, but I think they have the capability of monitoring your heart rate and doing a whole lot of other things. So I mean, all this is coming and yeah. all this can interact with your phone on the app as opposed to a website and provide live data and potentially even provide you with some kind of streaming ongoing feedback. And as we know, feedback is one of the most powerful ways to improve performance. And the faster the feedback and the more live it is, the more impact it has on performance. Absolutely. If you're sitting here and you want to build a billion dollar business, go and work out how you can sort that data into meaningful, useful ways. Um, because the data is just going to be abundantly captured all the time. Uh, and the, the real opportunities will be people who can filter it and make it, communicating it to the right people in the right ways. There's an opportunity for people. 
Okay. Well, mate, uh, like last time, I've just enjoyed geeking out on this conversation. I've learned so much. Now, let's talk about action steps that our listeners can take. One of my favorite parts in every episode. So Mm -hmm. the key takeaways for me were one of the biggest mistakes you made that you learned from is trying to sell an app called BugDrop to a bunch of teachers. So make sure that your offer is aligned with your audience. And if you're going to build an audience and you know what your app is about, then try and build an audience in the same niche. The second key thing was a successful app product or anything for that matter that is of value solves a problem. And Mm -hmm. the next app that you went on to create, which was the FizEd app, it solved a problem. And specifically, the problem that it solved was arranging these cones in a 400 meter track, which was quite time-consuming, took half an hour, and you solved that in a second by creating, uh, using, tapping into the GPS on the phone, Mm -hmm. which allowed them to essentially simulate that same environment with zero effort. So you saved them half an hour right there. The other lesson you said was build an audience. We already touched on that. But I would sort of read into what you said to some extent and say, use an iterative approach as well. So let your audience tell you what's working and what's not working. And they will tell you by not buying your product, for example. And if they don't, (laughs) ask why it didn't work and then try and improve on the next iteration. And eventually you will get there. The other thing you said is untapped at the moment, a little bit like podcasting in the content space. While the barrier to entry into the app space is a little bit higher, it still costs a couple of grand to get a decent app up and running. It's Mm -hmm. like having a website 10 years ago was more expensive than it is today. But the moment the barriers to entry drop, everyone rushes in and then the Mm -hmm. competitive advantage is lost. So Mm -hmm. consider the fact that getting into the app space now may be a little bit more expensive, but you are then in a sort of a relatively secluded space where you have a natural competitive advantage. And um, I've always believed, and I've said this in many episodes, cost is not necessarily the only factor to consider. I think while cost is important, and it is what I call a hygiene factor, as in you have to have the money to be able to pay the cost of the product, Mm -hmm. but you also need to measure cost in terms of return on investment. You're better off spending a million dollars that returns $5 million than you are spending $1 and getting $2 back. Sure. Absolutely. So I think these things are things to consider. The bold book is something you recommended last time. That's definitely something people can listen to or read if they want to learn more about this general disruptive space. You can find out more about getting in touch with Jared through productiveinsights.com forward slash app match. And how else can people get in touch with you, Jared? And is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. I mean, if you want to follow the phys ed world, then go to the pegeek.com or connectedpe.com. So if you want to see what we do for our audience. But other than that, the app match um, is a good place if you're thinking about, you know, building and leveraging an app. And I mean, commonly we get people come to us and they're not quite sure how they could, but they leave with a lot of different opportunities for them. And, and, you know, you may be sitting there and thinking the same thing, you know, I don't think it would work for me, but that's Mm. why tapping into someone who's, you know, built 60 or dealt with a lot of different cases might be beneficial. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. It was awesome to have you back. Pleasure. Speak again. Yeah, sounds good. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 